Well, I don't have a hat on. If, uh, if Levi didn't have a hat on, you would see the resemblance above the nose anyway. Well, thank you so much to, uh, to Brett, and just thank you for your encouragement uh, for uh, our family as we've transitioned and continue to transition. And Brett and Molly sat down with us and had lunch with us, and that was such a, a treat for us just to uh, experience the encouragement uh, from this church, the joy of, um, of Christ, and uh, the unity that we experience here is just a, a privilege and an honor. So, gl- so glad to be with you here uh, this morning. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it on up to Matthew 11. And we're going to be kind of rolling through six verses this morning. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. And I think it's on this, it might be on the screen. If it's not, you probably have a Bible. We're in America. You might have one or two. But I'm going to uh, just read the text and just trust and pray that uh, the Lord would have uh, something good for his people uh, this morning. And that our hearts would be filled up with the the fullness of God and the knowledge of Him this morning. So I'm going to start reading in verse 25, and then I'll pray, and then we'll just uh, dive into this passage here together this morning. Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Well, God, thank you that the words that Jesus spoke here uh, 2,000 years ago, God, are, are relevant and current. God, these are the words of the Lord Jesus today for his people. And not only for those who know him, but even for those who are uh, heavy laden and weary who don't know Jesus. And so we pray, God, that this message would be universal. It would just kind of cut through any barriers, whether it is um, uh, tired Christians who just need to be renewed and, and, re- and recharged and encouraged, God, or if it's non-believers. We pray that just the words of the precious Christ would, would cut through God, and would bring life and bring joy and renewed energy. That is our prayer, and only you can do this. So come with your presence and feed your people your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, do you think of yourself as a good rester? Does it make the the list of uh, top five qualities that you sort of exhibit, the ability to rest? The, The chances are, perhaps you've never really thought about that question all that much. If you've ever taken a strengths finders test, anyone ever done one of these, right? Yeah, resting doesn't really meet the, uh, have, have a category, right? There's no category for resting. If it were there, you probably would not want to score real high in the category of resting, right? Like you're, you're um, going through a job inter- interview and typically companies may not sort of gravitate toward that particular skill when they go to hire someone. I know how to chill, all right? I'm a chiller. That's my thing. Where's the lounge? I'm going to go chill. Right? So, so resting is kind of a, a strange topic. It's typically not sort of allotted or applauded in our, our society. It's a bit obscure. 
and really, I think, a bit difficult to totally understand. Now, there are biblical reasons to rest, right? Creator God himself uh, created the world and everything in it in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested, not because he was tired, but because he wanted to lay out or set out an example uh, for us to follow. Jesus, in his ministry, would escape from the crowds. He would retreat from the crowds. And his disciples, not sure which ones wore him out more, uh, the crowds of the disciples, probably a combination, right? But, but, but he, would, he would go away to pray, to be refueled um, through communion with the Father and to be recharged. And so that we have God the Father resting, God the Son resting, and we know inherently that we need to rest. We got to sleep. We got to lounge at times. We can't work 60 hours a week for the rest of our lives or we will break down. Even machines break down and robots break down. How much more human beings break down when they're working too, too much? And so the question we need to consider really this morning is, what does it look like to do this, to take somewhat of an obscure topic and to ground it a little bit, knowing that there is a marathon to run in the Christian life and not just a 20-yard sprint? And Jesus, the, the master here, will really help us uh, understand this better. And hopefully, as we walk through this passage, we'll all just hear the invitation of Jesus to come to him and to find rest. The, qu- the question really is probably more poignantly, to whom do you go to for rest? Not so much how do you get it, but who do you go to to get it? And so to give some context here, uh, Jesus has just given some woes to cities who did not repent and turn to him. So we'll try to kind of give a little context before we move into the, the, the latter half of these six verses. But what he does is he pronounces woes, which is not like Valley Fair, you know, roller coaster woe, but judgment on Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum for seeing the works of Jesus, hearing the works of Jesus, and, nonetheless, and nonetheless not turning, not repenting and turning from their sin. And so judgment was coming on these cities, coming for them, and it would be really bad for them. It would be worse judgment than that, that was given to Sodom, which itself was very severe, if you know that story from Genesis. And interestingly, this is the setting in which Jesus gives this invitation, right? In part, perhaps to sort of contrast what believers experience, the great rest, the great joy of the Lord, as opposed to those who do not believe the judgment of God opposed to the, the rest of God or in comparison. And those who reject King Jesus will be judged. Those who Jesus has graciously brought into his fold will be given this eternal life, this eternal rest, this soul rest. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this will lead us to experience in our life a deeper and deeper rest in him. So let's pick up in verse 25 and and set the context even more here. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, this is a prayer, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. This is a prayer of thanksgiving from Jesus to the Father. Jesus recognizes that the whole world is under the same kind of judgment owed to Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. Right? All the world is worthy of the judgment of God. And you see that throughout, throughout the Old Testament. And Noah is saved, but not because he was 
necessarily better, but because he experienced God's favor. Jesus is seeing these things, that the whole world is worthy of, of judgment, and yet the Father has revealed the eternal truth of God to little children. The Father has hidden these things from the wise, the understanding, and has revealed them freely and opened the eyes so that little children could receive the things of God. Now, what are the, these things here? This is probably the entire scope of Jesus' teaching, right? Who he is, what he's done, what he told us about, about the Father, all that he has done, taught, and will continue to do and to teach. It's kind of a broad category, these things, all that Jesus embodies in his life and ministry. The wise and the understanding, they don't get it. They don't get the teachings of Jesus. They don't understand what he's saying. It doesn't pierce through the blindness to the heart. They hear but don't understand. They, they listen to a degree, but they don't perceive. They don't comprehend it. So then they remain condemned. A little children, however, are given the revelation of that the words of Jesus are true, that they are right, that they are, they are good. Jesus has the words of eternal life. And they believe it. They just hear it, and then they just believe it, quite simply. This is what Peter confessed in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ. And Jesus does not say, you know, Well done. You have studied well, my pupil. Right? You get it. Yes, well done. Through your hard work and effort, you believe me. No, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. He uses the full name of Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but who has revealed it to you? My Father in heaven. And what Jesus is saying to Peter and what Jesus is thanking the Father for here is just the simple fact. God saves people. God opens the eyes of people. God opens the eyes of the blind. God causes those who are dead to be born again to resurrection life. Faith is a gift of God. It's a gift, not a result of work, so that No one may boast. This is the upside down, which is really the right side up way of God. Now, as uh, just a clarification here, there's nothing wrong with uh, being being um, particularly wrong with being smart, wise, and understanding. Some of you are like straight A type people, right, in this room right now. I love you. I married one. I love that. And and those are not bad things. We always had a couple of kids in my 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 class who were just like the straight A students, and I'm all for that. And um, when I was a freshman in high school, I got put in the JV math class, you know, the, the, the B team um, of math students who got all Ds. We should have been the D team, but they called us the B team, which was better than a D team, I guess. And I never really resented that because the lower they dropped the bar, the more comfor- comfortable I got, you know. It's like, yeah, keep, keep dropping that bar, will you? Can't there be a C team? I'll, I'll join that one. There's wise people in the world, and there's, there's, there's a, a type of, of, of knowledge that isn't a bad thing, and certain people have significantly above average IQs in the world. What Jesus is saying here is this. Learning without Christ at the center is ultimately self-destructive. It's ultimately self-destructive because as the ego and the accolades sort of grow, the self-confidence grows and the head swell and, and someone begins to kind of imagine that they have figured out this whole being a human thing, right? And if you've figured out how to be a human apart from the Savior coming to teach us how to be a human, then you have no idea how to be a human, right? If you've figured all this thing out and don't see a need to, for a Savior to be sent from heaven to make you the kind of human he wants you to be, then you are still blind, right? You're still blind. And so this is the issue with 
kind of the human experience. As much as we want to arrive, want to excel, want to achieve, want to get a handle on being a human being, we ultimately are not improving, right? We can't improve upon the sin nature, the human nature. We need a Savior to be a perfect human for us, to give us the eternal status as beloved and chosen, to, to be the awesome we can't be, and to die for all the ways that we fail to be awesome. And so that knowledge of our, our great need for a Savior is, is more precious than a thousand lifetimes of learning, right? Or 80 hours put in at the office a week, right? And that knowledge, Jesus says here, is not earned, but rather given freely as a gift from the Father. The Father has revealed these things, has opened the eyes of the children to see these things, all that Jesus has taught, and all that he is. He's done this to little children. Now, this was the gracious will of the Father, Jesus says. Now, this parallel or, or theme of sort of uh, the Father and children is not accidental. It's not coincidental. Jesus wants us to begin to think in these categories as God as Father and us as, as little children. And so Jesus is thinking of this relationship between the Father and, and the children. Now, not all people obviously in this room, think back to their relationship with their dad or their father and, and have good memories. Some of you maybe have really great memories. I do, by God's grace and mercy. Um, and your experience may have been a, a good one or maybe not a good one, but I think what Jesus is doing here is he's showing all of us what kind of father God is. He is the father who reveals incredible things to his children and does incredible things for his children. He's not stingy. He's lavish in his generosity, giving us his own son and giving us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so God the Father is okay with the relationship being quite one-sided. You know, uh, Christmas is around the corner. I don't mean to raise everyone's anxiety here in this room, which I can feel maybe. But if you don't believe me, just go to Home Depot after church and you'll see the Christmas stuff and they'll raise your blood pressure. But I, I've not been busy, you know, writing a list of things I want from my kids, right? I, you know, I haven't done that. I haven't, you know, said, okay, I want six months of rent paid, you know, mortgage paid. I'll take that. I, some, new, some new blue jeans, uh, new shocks and struts would be nice, right? The 72-inch Vizio, do they make those? I don't know. But I want one of those. Let's throw that in there and tag that, all, tag that along. But I, I'm not getting that list together for a number of reasons. Instead, a list is, is given to me as, as a dad, as a father, and I love getting those lists. I love getting the Christmas list. It totally radically improves my prayer life. You know, it's like I got to pray now like crazy uh, because I got sticker shock and that leads to prayers of petition. So it drastically deepens my, my prayer intensity. But this is the relationship God the Father has with us, right? We, we, we have things we need from the Father that he can give to us and that he does give to us. He, in fact, gives life and breath to all mankind. I think Pastor Brett uh, preached on that just a, a little bit back, a little while ago. He gives life to humanity, to all things. He doesn't need anything. And so there's, there's been no one who's come along in the past like 3,000 years where, where God looks at him and says, yes, I've been looking for someone like that for like thousands of years. Finally, he has been born. She has been born. This is the person who will, who will meet my requests, meet my needs, and, and hear me and finally understand me. Right? God doesn't have the man-shaped hole. We got the God-shaped hole. He doesn't have the man-shaped hole, right? And so that is not who God is. He is he's self-sustained and he is satisfied within the triune relationship. He does what he does out of an abundance, 
not out of need. Instead, he demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners and did not even know what to ask for if we were to make a list to God, Christ died for us, giving us what we didn't know to ask for. He is the Father who gives abundantly more than we know to even ask for. And that's why Paul prays things like this. He prays in Ephesians that the church may have strength. We need strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you and I may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a prayer that we would know the unknowable love of God, right? We would understand the ununderstandable love of God, that we would move deeper and, and higher into the love of God that has no end, that can't be exhausted. This is the relationship we have with the Father through the merits of the Lord Jesus, through his opening our eyes. We are beloved of God. We are adopted into the family of God. We are given all that we need. And then we offer back to God simply praise and thanksgiving. Not payment. Not Sunday morning, got to go you know, make my payment to God. No, praise. That's how we respond. We just praise him. We thank him. As, as Levi said and as, as, as Dana said as well, that's how we respond. We praise this is the gracious will of God, the Father, to, to lavish good things on us, including a revelation of who he is that leads us to great joy and to deep rest. And we are getting our way to rest eventually. We're going to get there in just a minute. But it's a bit of a transition before we look at that. It's a bit of a transition from a, a prayer to an invitation. Jesus says this in verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So this is meant to probably do two things here. It's meant to give uh, some explanation up to this point as to why some believe and some don't. God reveals himself through the Son, and he does this according to his wisdom. The, the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida don't get it. Little children do. That's God's doing and his wisdom. That's how he chooses to do it. And this also sets up verses 28 through 30. And so what Jesus is about to say is exactly what the Father wants to say through the Son and with the Son. The Son and the Father are one. The Son has revealed the Father to us. This is who the Father is based on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And now this is what the Father and the Son are offering you. Here we go. Verse 28. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now notice the immensely, intensely, immensely personal invitation to us and all who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus says, come unto me. Come unto me, a person. You have access to me. You have access to me. And the rest that I give. He does not send us on a Mediterranean cruise to get rest, right? He doesn't tell us to take some time off work or sleep in on Sundays. He doesn't, he doesn't do those things because they are not ultimate things. And they're not accessible for all people in all generations, right? And maybe you've been on a vacation or two where you get back and you're like, I need a vacation after that vacation, right? I, I spent a lot of money to get some rest and I didn't get any rest. I was sick the whole time. You know, we've gone through that. It's not fun. And Jesus' point is, I, I'm the giver of rest, right? Th- those things may help, 
But they're not ultimate things. They're secondary things. I'm the giver of rest. Come to me within the vacation or whatever else that he may lead you to. But I'm the one giving you uh, the rest, Jesus says. Maybe you've heard that expression, he or she had a come to Jesus moment, right? Maybe you've heard that before. And typically it's sort of um, slyly pejorative or kind kind of a negative comment sometimes. I've heard people say it. And it can be a bit degrading. But here Jesus is saying, have a come to Jesus moment in your life, right? Have a come to Jesus moment. You've been going to a lot of other things maybe in your life or this week or the last month or this year. I've been, I've been hearing the call of other things to come to me. I want to come to Jesus. I want to have a come to Christ moment. And we're to have these throughout the day, maybe once or twice or five times a day. I got to have a come to Jesus moment. I got to remember his presence, remember his nearness, remember his invitation right here. Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will experience rest. Come to Christ, come to Jesus for it. Jesus identifies here who he is inviting, and it's pretty universal, right? All, that's a big word, all who labor and are heavy laden. This is certainly more than than believers, but not less than believers. This is for the whole world. Come to someone who can give you rest freely in all generations, regardless of your financial level or where you're at in society. Those who labor and are heavy laden are not necessarily just working jobs that tire them out. Sometimes maybe our minds go right to like, oh, it must be work he's talking about, something like that. It's not just that. People who are tired from their work, either physically or emotionally or um, relationally or even spiritually, these are people I think Jesus is talking to and talking, talking, uh, inviting to himself who are weighed down by a variety of things. So you're a parent or your parents and you are raising kids. Great. Hope it, hope it goes okay for you. Pray for us too, if that's you. You're raising kids. However, you've taken on the role of evangelist, right? And discipler, and pastor, and disciplinarian, and the fun dad who's always smiling, and the steady mom who never gets, you know, has a bad day, the the master chef, the very wealthy breadwinner, and so on. And you've maybe taken the simple task that Paul gives us through, that Christ gives us through Paul to raise your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and you've made yourself the functional savior of your kids, right? Or of your, of your family. And you hold the whole world together in one hand and a cup of strong coffee in the other, right? Starbucks, black as it can be, right? That's my thing, right? And you've tried to sort of like create a world in which the, the curse of sin has not, you know, stricken my home, right? I, I've created an environment in which we are safe from all those things. And that's an onerous burden, right? Create a world that you're not subjected to the fall, the, the invitation for you would be to, to come to Jesus and find rest. What does Jesus want me to do today? Right? Don't, don't detach, don't disengage from your life, your responsibilities, your family, if that's a big one for you. Stay engaged to Jesus while you stay engaged to the things he's going to have you do. And as you do the work that he set out before you to do with his power, with his strength, with his leading, or you may labor and become heavy laden in, in other ways. In a room like this, there's going to be a variety of ways that you, you labor. You, you need to be there for everyone. You don't let people down. That's like the you know, Ten Commandments that's on top in your list, right? You do not let people down because you might be letting God down. And you think of yourself as the one who's always got to be there, right? You always got to be on for everybody. And if you don't, you might end up in verses 20 to 24 and, and 
endure the woes of Chorazin, right? And Bethsaida. Or maybe you just have some things in your life that you've just set out to fix. Some sort of man-centered, human-centered goals in your life. Some things to, to make right and to be awesome at. And it is a labor. It is, it is wearisome and you are heavy laden with expectations that maybe you've put on yourself or others have put on you. you know, I've experienced a season, um, as, as Brett mentioned, Pastor Brett mentioned, a season in my life uh, of transition and of, uh, of resting, right? And I'm not getting an A in resting class yet, but I'm learning. And, uh, and waiting and, and trusting the Lord. And it's funny because I still lean toward, you know, trying to justify my existence while I wait and be patient. Justify myself and... and, and even for our new neighbors, we moved into a house a couple months ago in White Bear Lake, and when we first moved, we needed to cut the lawn, and I didn't have a lawnmower, so I Craigslisted a lawnmower for 60 bucks and drove over and got it and threw it in the back of the trunk and came, went back to the house, and I, like, I was like, yes, I have something to do today. This is amazing. I get to cut the lawn. You know, I can either cut it with the scissors because it's about that big, or I could use a lawnmower, um, and so I'm out there working on the lawn, and I'm just working like my life depended on it, just imagining myself, justifying myself to our neighbors. I talked to Pastor Brett and Molly about this, and they encouraged me in it. Don't worry about it, Gabe. But out there striving to, to prove my worth, uh, mowing our, our front lawn, and what takes, you know, our, my neighbor five minutes would take me three minutes, right? I'm that fast, and, and you should see me take the garbage out. You know, I can do it like, you know, like no one's business. And, and all of that is a, a toil, right? It, it's it's burdensome work. It's expectations that I put on myself or I think other people are putting on to me. And at the center of, of it all is sort of a failure to understand the order of salvation. We are justified before we are sanctified. We accept the work of Jesus before we do any work. That's the gospel. That's the biblical message. That's what scripture teaches us. We accept the work of Jesus for us before we do the work that Jesus has us to do. We're saved before we are sent and, and so on. We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. Now, Jesus is speaking here into a, uh, really a deeply religious culture where, where Pharisees and Sadducees and, and the mega spiritual ones had significant influence on, on the culture and on the people. And so there was a misunderstanding surrounding who God was and what he was like. And so... Jesus, in part of his ministry, just came to bring clarity and revelation and to be the burden lifter. You all have an idea of God the Father? I'm going to teach you who God the Father is, Jesus says. And so here's what Jesus said of the the religious elite in Matthew uh, 23, where he says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. These are the same people who try to put burdens onto Jesus himself and his disciples. They call Jesus a glutton, a, a drunkard, a, a friend of, of sinners. And in the next chapter, chapter 12 of Matthew, when, the, when Jesus' disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath, the, the, the religious elite tore into them. And Jesus very gently and decisively taught them about King David. You remember that story about King David? You, you people that know the Bible so well, you remember that story of King David? He was hungry, his the, the tummy was growling, and he went and ate the holy food, right? 
And Jesus, what he does in the very next chapter is successfully lifts the burdens right off of his disciples as quickly as the religious are putting them onto the shoulders of his disciples. He's the burden lifter. He's the burden lifter. And the world will put burden upon burden upon burden. And Jesus is there taking them off, taking them off because he loves us. He wants us to be free from those things. That's what Jesus is offering us. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will remove those burdens placed on you by yourself, by your sort of ingrained nature, or maybe by the people in your life. Expectations that are put on you that don't come from the heart of God, but come from some other place. Now you uh, may not have a group of people following, around, following you around during the day. Blowing the whistle every time you goof up, right? Foul, you know, just like uh, referees in your life. You probably don't have that. Um, but, you, but, but you probably at least have a little, little critic inside of yourself, right? Uh, just that self-condemning voice. Um, maybe it's loud in your life. Maybe it's not real loud in your life. I don't know. But you probably have something inside of you that tells you you're a failure You're just not a good enough person. You're failing at Christianity. You don't know how to follow Jesus. And this little critic is eager to distribute burdens at every turn, all the time. Morning, noon, and night, anytime. You don't work hard enough at being a Christian. Your kids look nothing like Billy Graham, right? They got non-saved friends. None of their, their, their friends are getting saved, right? What's wrong with your kid, you know? Teach them how to evangelize. Your community service is a joke. You, you, you don't serve your community at all. Yeah, the house is clean. Yeah, but look how small it is. Your kids can't live in that house. Why didn't you do that bump out? Have some faith and go get the loan at the bank, right? Or why did you do that bump out and not tithe it to the church, right? You should have tied that money. It goes on and on and on and on. And all of, it, all of it can just make us so depressed, so down about ourselves, feeling like we're just not good enough. I was feeling this uh, not long ago. About 30 minutes ago, actually. It's pretty, it's pretty often. Now that I think about it. I was feeling this uh, poignantly not too long ago. We were at a park, and I, can, I was just in a bad mood. And um, my wife can attest to these that come and go. Um, and I can remember literally scowling at this poor little dog, right? And this dog had done nothing to me. The dog was happy and wagging his tail and this happy little dog. And I'm like, you know, you're going to be the object of my wrath right now, little dog. I don't, I don't, I don't know why you're smiling at me. And I'm scowling at a dog, and I'm snarling at a dog, and he had no right to be happy. And, and this is what the Pharisee in us can do, right? You just start to scowl, and you start to snarl. And it's not because anything is wrong out here so much, but you just feel the self-condemnation. The scales are just heavily weighed toward being a failure, and this is the religious game that we all know how to play when it comes down to it. We know how to play the religious game. And we need the gospel to teach us how to live. The burden-lifting gospel says... I am simultaneously a sinner, yes, and amen, and justified. Sinner justified. I think it was a cool Latin phrase. Simul ustus set peccator. You, you Latin people out there who grew up maybe, you know, learning Latin. We're both. We're not good enough, yes, and amen to that. We have Jesus, he is, yes, and amen to that too, right? So there's the two-sided coin of the gospel. Those feelings, they will come, remember Jesus in them. We need Christ. We need him. I am redeemed and forgiven by Jesus, so then there is no condemnation. Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, ever. No condemnation. 
And this gospel is meant to be the response. How do we respond to the critic within us? The self-condemnation that we all feel. We respond by going to Christ and remembering him. Christ is our confidence. We have no other. I'm not self-confident. I'm not self-assertive. Jesus is plenty assertive for me, right? He saved me. He died for me. He lived the perfect life for me. I don't need to be self-confident. I can be fully confident in his work for me. So when we feel weary, we feel heavy laden, it's okay. We're invited to remember the finished work of Jesus Christ for us. He will give us rest. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me. For I am gentle. I'm a gentle God. I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So there is a yoke here. If you're wondering, where's the yoke? This is it. A weight that Jesus gives, a responsibility. Even more than that, though, is a way of living. So he's not saying, here you go, here's the weight for you in your life. You know, here's the responsibility, go do it. He's really teaching us how to live. This is a way of living. This is a, a lifestyle. I have another way for you to live. It is work that is for me and fueled by me and looks like me even. I will teach you how to work like me, how to live like me. Now, Jesus, of course, uh, did a lot in his ministry. It's incredible to read through the Gospels and, and just read about what Jesus did, right? He did a lot. He was, he was busy doing the work that God had for him to do. And in fact, if, if uh, everything was recorded down, the whole world couldn't contain the books. I mean, that's a lot. That's, that's, a, that's a full life of, of ministry and preaching and discipling and all that Jesus did. What he's getting at here is how he did it. He did not do anything. How, it's more how he did it or with what kind of heart he did what he did. Jesus did not work to alleviate stress. He didn't wake up with that feeling of, I got to do stuff today to prove myself. What am I going to get done today so that when I go to bed tonight, I feel good about myself? Okay, that's not how Jesus worked. He didn't work to alleviate his anxiety or his insecurity. He knew who he was already. He worked from that place. At Jesus' baptism, the Father pronounced his favor on the Son, right? The dove, the dove descends and, and the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And this was before Jesus' ministry even began. God the Father pleased with the Son before the heartache of ministry and the, the cruel death on the Roman cross and so on. And so Jesus himself did not work for his identity. He worked from it. He's eternally loved by the Father and eternally loves the Father. He's working from his identity. And the kind of yoke or weight he gives to us is the exact same. And that's the application. That's the connection. We work like Jesus did. The gentle and lowly heart, knowing our identity. It is working with a gentle and lowly heart. Not an anxious heart. Not a, a striving heart. Because we all know that uh, that kind of annoys all the people around us watching us work, right? Well, we work from anxiety and stress and pressure, and it's all about me and my performance. It can be a little annoying, right, uh, for, for those of us around, uh, those around, and when we do that. You, know, you probably know the story of, of Mary, Mary and Martha. How many of you, like, really connect to that story, right? You're just like, uh, you know, well, if you don't yet, maybe you will after this. Martha is... Um, you know, just being a great human being all around, right? She's got guests over, and everyone's over at her house. And, and uh, for her, being, being, you know, just a fantastic human being meant having a clean house and guests well attended to. 
And so Martha had a goal when people came over. Martha wanted all of her guests to leave with the impression, wow, that Martha can really throw a party. She knows how it's done, right? And you get the scorecard, and she gets a five, even though there's only three is the highest score. She gets a five in every category, right? That's Martha's thinking. Impress people, impress people, impress people. Mary, on the other hand, is, is just wowed by Jesus. God's here. God's in our house. God's in this house. And she can't stop just listening to him and adoring him and fawning all over him and learning from him. All right, so there's a contrast. Martha sought to match Jesus' work, to compete with Jesus in his work. Well, Mary was all in on just watching Jesus' work. I'm just going to watch the Christ do his thing. So Jesus really here in that story just kind of cuts to the heart of it, right? Martha is concerned about many things. She does not have the heart of Jesus. She's not gentle. She's not lowly in heart. She's elevated. She's self-concerned. She's self-preoccupied in heart. She has a yoke for sure, but there's no rest at the center of it. No reliance on Jesus, no adoration of Jesus. And so Martha really replaces adoration of Jesus with productivity and the yoke of keeping up appearances, which is a big yoke, a big heavy weighty thing. Mary, however, is learning from Jesus while adoring Jesus, learning the heart of Jesus. And so we got to see what Jesus is saying here. Part of the task or or the, the yoke that Jesus gives us is to learn from him. Not so much do things for him, learn from him. That's part of the yoke. That's part of the responsibility to learn how to be gentle, how to be lowly in heart while you work, doing both together. If you can do this, which we're learning to do, right, in our Christian walk and Christian life, if you can do this and are improving in this, working hard with a lowly Christ-like heart, that's a great sign of God's grace in your life. Because if you are a type A, you know, uber-productive person, you make enormous profits, you evangelize your, your neighbors, you evangelize believers, right? You don't care, just anybody, you know? If you are a, a, a person who, you know, you cook award-winning food every single night, you will at some point look for the applause. And this is where we can learn from the Lord, Lord Jesus himself, who, who got no applause at the cross. He just got no applause. He, he got jeered, he got scorned, he got whipped, he got pierced through with a spear, nailed to the tree. No applause. Why did he do it? He did it out of obedience to the Father, knowing he's getting the applause of the Father. He's getting the favor. He has the favor of the Father. He's not earning it. He has it already. He's doing it out of obedience to the Father. So if you, you don't get the thank you after you know, bringing home that monster paycheck or making the elite dinner, you can think, I am gladly participating in the sufferings of Jesus today. This is great. Pass the salad, right? That's, that's who Jesus is. That's his example. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, not looking for the praise of man, but enjoying the favor of God in his work. Jesus says very simply in, in verse 30, my yoke is easy. All right, you got these heavy yokes that these religious people are putting on you. I'm taking that right off your shoulders. I'll give you a yoke. This is going to be easy. My burden is light. Now, there are some passages in the scriptures that you just sort of gloss over because they seem so unreachable. There's like pie-in-the-sky Christianity, and they're not. They're biblical, wonderful truths. But in your mind, you're like, that's so unreachable. I don't even know where to begin with that. That may be one of these. This may be one of these for you. It may veer toward that kind of best-case scenario, unreachable Christianity. 
It is, however, a real thing being offered. This is a real thing Jesus is offering to us today, in part because this easy yoke and light burden is a life to live with Jesus at the center. That's what he's talking about. A life lived with Jesus at the center of, of all that you do. Jesus as master, as Lord, as, as leader, the one you go to to get direction in your life. The one you come to, as he says. He is working in us and he's bringing his perfect work to completion. This is not a go figure it out plan. This is a follow me plan. That's the yoke. Follow Jesus. That's the responsibility. Follow Jesus. And he will teach us. A while back... Uh, we got into that show, uh, The Great British Bake Off, right? And we got into random shows over the last 11 years of being married, so 11 and a half years, almost 12. Well, The Great British Bake, uh, Bake Off was the one we got into, you know, somewhat most recently. Not because I'm a great baker, but because winters are long, all right? And it's dark at 5, and you got to do something from like 8 to 10, right? So there we go. And uh, in, this, in this show, uh, there's like two professional bakers who, they would come out and they would present this like perf- uh, perfectly baked cake or, or pie or some kind of pastry of some kind. And then the amateurs would, would look at the, the perfect pastry and then have to try to bake it just like it. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Or am I like totally like, who is this guy? Okay, Mars is somewhere out there. Go back to Mars. Okay. It, it exists, all right? It, it's a real thing. I'm not making it up. And the amateurs had to, like, you know, incredibly in, like, two hours, right, like, create exactly what these professionals have, have made, and they never do it. And every once in a while, the pros would come along, and um, they would make comments and, and snicker a little bit about how the amateurs were doing and question what they were doing and, and make comments to each other and, you know, basically just show their superiority uh, over them. And then after a few hours, each amateur baker would, would present their, you know, finished product to, to the pros and put their best work on the table. And the pros would little, literally pick it apart, take their fork and jab into it and, and move it around and, and then, you know, squish it around in their mouth. I'm not trying to gross anyone out here, but then swallow. And then it was, it was, it was criticism. It was, it was critique. Maybe make a sour face or maybe smile and maybe even give a high five uh, afterward. No matter what, though, the, the amateur work was nothing like the master's work. They're not comparable. This is how you know, some of us just think of, think of Jesus, right? He is, he's the master, right? He's perfect. I got to go try to figure out to, how to be what he wants me to be. And he's watching us, and he's critiquing us, and, and he's critiquing how well I live, and he's picking me apart, how well I'm doing. And here's what Jesus does with us. This is what he manifested through his incarnation, right? Through coming to earth in the flesh. But he takes us on as his own project. He knows exactly who we will become in him. We have died, Colossians 3. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And so there's a perfect status in him. He, however, sets about to make us into that perfect image. He does the work through us and in us. And this includes giving us weights, giving us yokes, giving us a Christ-centered task to do in our life to fulfill his purposes for us and to make us like him. He is, however, doing this in us and, and through us and not simply waiting at the end of our life, okay, what did you come up with? How well did you get to what I wanted you to be? This is what Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians 5. 23 to 24, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. And may your whole spirit and your soul and your body, all of you, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now, there's another component uh, to this whole thing that I think is implicit in the text and yet not maybe obvious. And that's really taking on Christ's yoke within community, right? What does this look like within community? It's not like, okay, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to hop on a ship and just go for it somewhere. I don't know where I'm going to go. What does it look like to, to do this? You know, in the the church and within the redeemed community of of God. As God's redeemed community, we we bear yokes together, right? We help identify what is a Christ-given yoke and what isn't. We encourage each other. We certainly don't put more on each other than Jesus does because he knows better than we know what your life should look like. I don't know. He knows. We encourage each other. We, We try really hard not to load burdens on to each other that we are not also willing to help one another bear. Instead, at times, we are even to bear with one another or bear burdens with one another, as Paul says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so this means helping to shoulder some yokes at times, some burdens, and also help to clarify for one another which ones we are to bear and which ones we are not to bear. We need help on this, right? Christian community, the wisdom that comes from Christian community— how are you living? How, how far have you veered off of the Christian gospel? How, how much do you do in your life has nothing to do with the words of Jesus at all, but are just self-expectations uh, self, uh, on you or cultural expectations on you? We within the redeemed community help each other in this, navigate these things. And we also are there for each other when we go through hard stuff. There are some things in life that are just, just heavy, just difficult things to endure, And in the church community, we are to be aware of people going through difficulties, especially difficult yokes or difficult things that are all part of God's plan, but through which we need encouragement and help, times of testing, times of of difficulty, doing that well, loving each other well. I love that scene in The Lord of the Rings when uh, toward the end of it and the last of the series when Frodo is struggling to get up the mountain. I mean, he's got like nothing left in the tank, but he's got to get up the mountain and throw the ring in, right? And he can't get himself up the mountain. And remember who's with him. Samwise is there, right? Sam is there. And, and Sam sees Frodo struggling to get up the mountain, and Samwise knows that he can't bear the burden. We can't bear the burden of each other, right? Samwise knows that. Last time he tried that, it didn't go well in the movie, right? It's Frodo's to bear, not Sam's. He cannot take the ring from Frodo. So Sam says, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you, right? Remember that scene? My wife reminded me of this a few days ago. He picks up Frodo, heaves him up onto his back, and carries him up the mountain. And that's a a picture of of the church, right? If we have the energy and if we have God's favor and God's special grace and the means to, to help people, to carry people when they can't move and to rip open the ceiling tiles, right? And lay down, let, 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 our, let our friend down to Jesus. If we have the capacity to do that, we don't always. Sometimes it's like, don't call me, I can't help you. But if we do, we are to do it and so fulfill the law of Christ. And there's a chance that you're going to be the recipient of that same kind of grace. I, I can't bear your burden, but I can lift you up or I can be lifted, lifted up by God's people and by God's community. That's, that's the, the challenge and the encouragement that we are given, to do both, to be carried at times, to be lifted up, and also to lift the burdens of others.
Well, the only way all this is possible, this uh, experience of deep soul rest, the, the easy and the light yoke given to us, and even the privilege of caring for the needs of others is because of what Jesus has done at the cross, right? Jesus worked at the cross. He carried our sins to the cross. The, the weight of sin, the, the weight of the law, expectations on us would have crushed us. And those were carried on the shoulders of, of the king, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 3, 5 to 7. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Part of the yoke we are given here, and what I think Jesus is wanting us to to remember, is to consistently just be reminded of the finished work of Christ. That brings deep soul rest. It is finished. There's nothing more to do to get you to heaven. Right? You, don't, you don't adopt yourself in. You're adopted in. You don't redeem yourself in. You're redeemed. You are forgiven. You are brought in. The work is completed. Nothing more needs to be done. And now, all that is done in our life is done in response to Jesus' great work at Calvary to the praise of his glory and grace. So let's just hear the invitation of Jesus today. Let's, let's come to him, to Jesus, for the rest that he has secured for us and that he now freely gives to us. Amen? Let's pray together. God, thank you for uh, the holy words of the Lord Jesus that are true and right and good. God, thank you that we have an invitation from the King of Kings to come and to find soul rest, deep soul rest that uh, is... uh, uh, unaffected and unaided by us, God. It's a free gift. And so just help us to remember who to go to for rest. Not always what to do to get rest, but who to go to first to be given rest. And in doing that, God, would you give us wisdom in how to uh, live a life that is is, um, a life of work and yet also just resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. So help us in these things. Give your people wisdom. Thank you for um, all that has been done in this church over the, the last um, nine, ten years here. God, just so grateful. Continue to do your great work. Uh, continue to make the invitation to come to you, be known uh, to your people here, and that we would be just a resting people and a working people. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.